In this edition of Jay's Corner Podcast, we've got Suzanne Norman, very interesting person with a wealth of experience in the financial services industry. So important to include women on the conversation about personal finance. A lot of times the administrative tasks are handed to the responsible adult female. I'm not going to change all bias in the world today. Let's hear what she has to say. Welcome to Jay's Corner. My name is Jay O. I am a certified financial planner. I'm also the author of Maximizer Medicare, the published book. Jay's Corner is there to try to explain how certain financial matters work, to try to help you separate the signal from the noise, so that when something changes, you're not distracted wrongly, and instead, keep your eyes on the ball, which is tough to do given the way that we are given information. There's a free and paid newsletter. Go to jo.substack.com. There are two YouTube channels, Jay's Corner, as well as Maximize Your Medicare. Be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you digest your podcast. Be sure to leave your comments. Let's begin. Welcome to Jay's Corner. Today, we've got a special guest, Suzanne Norman. Now, Suzanne has a lot of industry experience in financial services. And in addition to that, she now is a, she fills a number of different roles, very interesting to the message here, and women's role in all walks of life. And so I'm going to ask her and pick her brain here today. Good morning, Suzanne. Welcome to Jay's Corner. Hi, Jay. Thanks for having me. Good morning. So when before uh, I hit record, we talked about your background and fascinating decades in financial services or and relating to different types of organizations. Why don't you give us just a brief look about your past professional experience? Sure. Thanks, Jay. Um, People who've heard me speak over the years know that I often say that I got into this industry um, on purpose by accident. And why I say it that way is my undergraduate degree was in psychology, and I actually took a little kind of side trip to to photography after college. But what I was looking for when I moved out to San Francisco is some income stability. And um, having always been a worker bee, you know, and, and just knowing that, you know, I have to have income flow versus just sort of bringing my photography book around, mm. um, a friend arranged for me to take a temp job at Wells Fargo Securities. Um, and I I laugh because I always knew Wells Fargo with the wagons. And right. so if you can imagine my view, um, not having had any type of um, education in the markets, um, I showed up the first day and I said, oh, well, okay, this is not a security brinks kind of truck job. Um, and what it turned out to be, of course, is a brokerage role. And the woman that I worked with um, encouraged me after about a week because she heard me on the phones and she knew I was personable. And she said, you know, have you ever thought about being in this industry and this job? And um, after about a, a, you know, a, a day or so, the whisper in me said, I'm supposed to know her. Um, I'm just going to trust that this is, this is the right, you know, decision. Mm. What, what, you know, what's there to lose? Um, I did have to get my series seven very quickly. So that was actually a great baptism by fire. So I got that in about a month. So I'm proud to say, um, and she's still one of the best friends that I have, um, in the world. And so that got me into the industry and basically my journey took me from, uh, San Francisco, a little side trip to Syracuse where I joined Merrill Lynch, um, And that was a wonderful opportunity. I was with Merrill Lynch almost 12 years. 
a wow. little advisory. Yeah, a little advisory mm. there. Uh, but also I ro- rolled into and seeked out um, a role as a specialist. So that was somebody who managed a product line and served the financial advisors. So some people in the industry know that term, um, but it was much more uh, B2B. Um, I, I did a lot of training for clients, but um, but that was really my passion is sort of specializing. And so that was actually in the insurance group. Uh, then I actually moved to Alliance Bernstein, very similar role, um, working in the sub-advisory division. So we had institutional clients um, also serving the insurance needs. Um, and then I le- my final career uh, job for almost uh, nine years was at Milliman. And at Milliman Financial Risk Management Group, again, very similar. I led a team. Um, and we worked again in the sub-advisory space and uh, all about risk management. And that's really my passion. Everyday people have heard the first uh, couple, right? Wells, certainly, and Merrill, mm-hmm. Alliance Bernstein to some degree. But Milliman is not well known to the everyday person. Mm-hmm. Very technical firm based, if you will, probability and statistics driven firm. Yeah. And I, I read one of your papers about uh, that you were co-author about women and their role. And obviously, you, you, you spoke earlier from your first job at Wells. I always tell young people, I'm like, no matter how smart, no matter how creative you are, you need a rabbi, meaning mm-hmm. a person to kind of yeah. help you, encourage you, support you and things like that. And now, today, you're doing different things uh, from, you know, the corporate, normal corporate uh, mm-hmm. roles, uh, established corporate roles that you've had. Talk to me now about uh, coaching and women and about the this paper, if you could, and your observations from that paper and your own personal experience. Yeah, thanks, Jay. It it almost seemed inevitable that I would would get back probably to my roots of psychology, and people would always laugh for years. You know, thirty years in financial services, you have a degree in psychology. Right. Um, clearly, I'm good at math too. But the point is that um, a friend encouraged me to um, go and get my coaching certificate. And growing up with a feminist mother in a very um, you know um, in the you know seventies, let's say you know women's rights. That was, oh, I was swimming in it. And I also went to a women's college. So women's empowerment and, you know, the friendships that I've made, the female tribes, you talk about rabbi, you know, so my friend is is Margarita Perry, and she's one of my major rabbis in life. Uh, She's, you know, 40 year practitioner. But what I really recognized with getting that coaching certificate um, was that there's a way for me to tr- kind of take, you know, my life experience and, you know, mm, having a right. lived experience as a woman in financial services, Absolutely. Um, you know, made me pretty resilient, as you probably know, <laughs> you know, we're a small percentage, uh, which is funny. I always talk about, you know, how are we the majority of the population? It's still a minority in some of these industries. But anyway, but obviously I, I enjoyed the industry, but I knew that I could take some of the skills or a lot of the skills that I had in my life experience. Sure. Um you know, apply some of the training as a coach and then bring that to women. And most of the women I work with are like me where, you know, they may still be in their careers, but there there's a longing for that sense of purpose and some work that I've done. You talk about the, the I'm not sure which paper you're referencing. I wrote a lot. Um, I did a leadership okay. program at Yale, um, which really inspired me since there wasn't anything that we had on the shelf, so to speak, at Milliman. 
I like to write. So actually it was a great opportunity for me while I was there to start building that library and inviting some other female colleagues that were in different divisions um, and different practices to, to collaborate with me. Um, so really it's all about empowering women. So that could be that it's through the mentorship that I do um, with First to College. It's, you know, the financial literacy education that I do. And the coaching, again, is for women that are, you know, in transition, looking for that, you know, I've got another 30 years coming. I, I you know, my kids are, are out of the house or, or I'm almost an empty nester. What, what What's my role in life? And right. I, I love having that kind of co-pilot role as a coach to help women it, find their way. It's a lot. I mean, at that point in life and, you know, it, I think that my own book, Maximize Your Medicare, you know, has succeeded to some degree to the persons who are Medicare is coming up in a year, two years, mm -hmm. right? I need to know, under, they, we know we they don't understand something. I need to get some information. But the reality is, is that sometimes it comes to Suzanne's on her stack of the many stacks as not Suzanne, the professional, but Suzanne, the person, right? In, mm -hmm. in other words, we're not going to solve gender bias here on this <laughs> on our podcast today, right? We, we could be more gender aware. <laughs> okay, is one thing I talk about. Yes, but I agree. Agree. <laughs> right. So, you know, in the absence of a complete, you know, resolution to all bias, mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is, is that I've observed and I've told this to people in public. Well, the responsible the responsibility ends up on the. Re responsible female of the extended mm -hmm. family. I yes. mean, that's kind of your practical reality of the situation. So now we've got your very interesting intersection, right? Mm -hmm. Technically professional mm -hmm. experience and yet everyday life experience, which is back into, if you will, okay, Suzanne, you're the sandwich generation female, you know, highly educated, lots of professional experience. Here's this new language. Can you help me out with all this other stuff? And now all of a sudden you're the you're the extended family expert. Yeah. Talk about the layers of mm -hmm. you know stress that adds. I mean, it's gotta be stressful. You you've got these different responsibilities mm -hmm. put on your desk, you know, whether you wanted it or not. Yeah, yeah. And I now know which paper you're referencing. Um, we wrote a very expensive sandwich. That was with my colleague, Sheila Jennings, um, and Janet <laughs> Jennings from the healthcare practice um, that I'd met, um, who brought a wealth of information to it. So certainly, I encourage people to read the paper. I know it's a little, probably longer than, you know, the, the summary. Um, but the point being here, as you say, um, it's, I often say with that financial, um, you know, wellness, financial fitness, that it's not a, oh, it would be nice to have. It's a need to have because right. you just referenced it. I don't know that it's necessarily always gender-based, but if I look at my friends, both male and female, I, it, it would be, we could talk for hours and you as well about all of the women that we know that are taking care of themselves, their children and their yeah. parents. I mean, just, right. you know, yesterday I'm at, a, I'm at a book club dinner um, and talking about all these, these journeys that women have been on um, and navigating, you know, one of them was talking about, you know, being a power of attorney. And when the mother died, there is no power of attorney anymore because there is no person so, you know, how do you navigate the banking system? You know, how do you how do you give care? And and one of the stats that, that I shared in the paper 
that I talk about a lot is that imbalance, if you will, um, where we see women leaving the workforce for about five and a half years to care for their children, whereas right. men are leaving about half a year. And then you look at parents where women are leaving the workforce for a little over almost two years and men, you know, again, almost, you know, a little over half a year. And what's the impact there, you know, on not only their emotional well-being, but their financial well-being. And for sure. you know, yeah, and and no, and one of the things I, I mentioned um, or I highlight, Jay, because it, you know, if someone is still working, one of the ahas, and I had this years ago with a friend who was going through this. It was her her um, husband's parents that she was helping. But there's that employee assistant program that became much more robust in general during right. COVID. Um, and there are amazing, and it was in the paper, but there are amazing um, uh, resources available for free where, you know, you could you could reach out to that program. And it's usually a company will pay, you know, for another company's programming. Um, but the point is that you could find, you know, a adult daycare, you could help find a you know, nursing home, assisted living. And so the point is, I guess, that it's also being aware of the resources um, that are available to you. Do you find that the large employers are offering this, you know, in mass? Is this generally the case? Is this mm -hmm. exceptional one-off? How, how prevalent is that kind of service? It's a good question. And I don't, I don't have a specific answer. My sense is knowing how robust the plan was at Milliman when I was there and when we started digging into it, and I, I credit our HR um, professional for sending sure. this out during COVID and just, you know, and writing the paper and really reviewing all of the things, you know, the legal help that you get. So my sense is that an, an even bigger public firm um, would, would have it, but it may not always be something that you're aware of because there may not be a lot of kind of marketing behind it. So it's, it's one of those, you know, you don't ask, you don't get, and also being curious. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So if, from a practical point of view, let's just say it's your cloned sister, if mm -hmm. you will. How do they get, and they decide to transition from a professional work life or can be that family circumstance dictates to them? Mm-hmm. How do they, what are their first steps that they need to think through from Suzanne's point of view? And, you know, the, the whiteboard is clear here, Suzanne. So I'm sure that the, you're not going to, that it, one solution is not going to fit every person. But yeah. let's talk about just general principles from your perspective on what a female in that situation needs to command first. Yeah. Well, it's a great question. And we, we actually just wrote about this. Um, I work as an education fellow uh, for not-for-profit um, that you know. You were participating in a podcast recently um, for the Alliance for Lifetime Income. Sure. And I wrote something recently about the money happiness formula. So I, I'd like to sort of start off by saying that this is gender neutral. Um, but the money happiness formula, which you probably know, although you're so sophisticated, it's probably too simple for you. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, uh, but it's it's income greater than expenses. And right. if you can keep that in your mind, and we do this in, in, you know, financial literacy education all the time, adult financial literacy education, but it, it kind of reduces it to something like, oh, right, okay, I don't want a deficit, you know, certainly there could be some good debt out there. But the point I make is that you need to know where the income is coming from in order and, and your expenses. So another kind of, you know, aha for people is, you know, I ask a lot, you know, do you have a budget? And as you probably know, statistically, most people don't. And, right. you know, and if they say yes, you know, then, you know, we have stats around, you know, well, you know, do you follow it? <laughs> 
So I also talk to women, and again, this applies to men, about that 50, 30, 20 formula, which you may have seen before, but you know, 50% of what is coming into you is going to your essentials, right? So those are your needs. That's your mortgage, your utilities, your groceries, you know, all of the things that, you know, it costs to run your life. 30% wants, right? Because again, what what is life as we're sort of talking about, you know, right. if you can't be joyful and happy. Um, and then 20%, and this is sort of getting a little closer to answering your question, which is, you know, that is the rainy day fund. That is the savings. That is the investments. So when I, you know, think about women in transition, you know, I want them, to, I want to level set with, with those concepts because wanting to transition into something that gives you joy, gives you, you know, a sense of purpose right. has a cost to it, right? So it's that analysis of where do I stand right now um, as far as income and what I need. So, and this is why I wanted to have you here, right? Because you also have insight from an everyday perspective from retail, et cetera, and some idea, not only that, but what other advisors know or don't know. Mm -hmm. How much time do you think that our, the financial services industry dedicates to that first stop? Mm. Or are they right into the minutia of their particular product or their particular, you know, stated, you know, role and expertise, whether a stockbroker, annuity salesperson, insurance, life insurance agent. Do you think that the first conversation that you just stated there is, you know, had, like adequately had, or mm -hmm. do you think that the, we assume that the person knows that the client, the prospect, you know, already knows this mm -hmm. before meeting with a financial professional? Yeah, What's your it's, it's such an important question, Jay, because, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And because we as a country are pretty much left to our own devices to learn financial right. skills, because, you know, the Council of Economic Education publishes a report every year, how many states actually require a class in personal finance or economics, and it's dismal. It's about 23 states. So most people that you talk to say, yeah, I learned it on my own. <laughs> but when it comes to advice, this is still, I think, the, the next frontier of, of awareness, because if you are an average, you, you asked me to clone myself. Okay, so now I'm going to have my twin sister, um, you know, I don't know, we'll, we'll call her. Actually, my name was supposed to be Noelle. So I'm going to call okay. her Noelle. <laughs> All uh, right. My parents changed at the last minute. So I'm going to say that Noelle, who doesn't have any background in, you know, financial services, you know, advice, you know, kind of, you know, does a good job of saving, is, is you know, adhering to the money happiness formula, but now has to hire an advisor right. or seek advice, because obviously there's a lot online right now. So there is sure. the ability to DIY it. But let's just say that you're in the cohort that says, you know, I want an advisor. You have no idea what questions to ask. Typically, right? You know, you know, the opaqueness of how how much things cost, you know, how much an advisor charges. So so I, I encourage people, you know, to do a little bit of sleuthing and, and there are definitely resources out there you make me think now that I, I probably should put this on my website. It is on the Alliance's website as far as how to interview a financial advisor. Um, but I do think that coming to your, your question about, let's say that I'm ready to start interviewing. I have the questions. I know how to ask, you know, you know, what got you into the business? You know, I've, I've done a background check on you. I know that you don't have a lot of, you know, hopefully none, but, you know, there aren't any customer complaints because that's, of course, public information. But the point is, 
if you're a hammer, everything's a nail is often said about the advice industry. Meaning if I am an investment professional and mm. Noel comes in to talk to me, if what I love to do is I love to track the markets and I love to pick the best investments and that's great. I mean, you need that, but will that necessarily put me in a mindset of saying, what is Noel's, you know, my alter ego, what, what's her goal? What's her objective? Because I think sometimes that narrowness does happen in the industry. With that said, there are so many professionals that I think have taken the time to get their certified financial planning, you know, cert, you know, training and certificate. Um, they're much more planning based. So when they meet Noel, they want to know everything about Noel. But I do see those two camps, um, maybe that that certified financial planner or planning based financial advisor is still being a little smaller in the industry, because if you look at the stats and I'm sure you have Reports tend to still say that less than 10% of the retail financial client is actually doing a formal plan. So what does that mean? Does that mean they said, I don't want to do one? Or does that mean that the advisors that they're working with are saying, I'm your investment person? And it, what percent? And of course, we're speculating. We're, we're yes. I'm going to bust. We're going to try not to cross the line into reckless speculation, but let's yes. just speculate. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> prudent, prudent. <laughs> it is, so now you've come to your advisor. They're stating, look, we're here to help you with your investment portfolio, what it, it would be. Suzanne has, or Noel has, you know, 10 different issues on her mind, all which affect financial matters. Maybe she's used to it and has had two decades of experience, right? As an adult, mm -hmm. maybe that was left to a partner an ex-partner, whatever mm -hmm. type of role. And now all of a sudden she's got to get, you know, the investment advisor is one out of a list of 10 different items. Mm -hmm. Is that priority set correctly by Noel? In other words, you're advising Noel, how, how, what order are we talking about these different issues from your perspective? What what advice, what guidance? And I'm kind of trying to tease out what Suzanne, you know, yeah. Noel comes to Suzanne and is Suzanne smart like Suzanne, but, mm -hmm. but does want to transition. What should she be asking Suzanne? What should Noel, Noel really be asking first? Yeah. Because the Merrills of the world and, and nothing against Merrill Lynch, right? I mean, the advisors, they get their... The advertisements are every day, mm -hmm. you know, newspapers, online, whatever it would be. Everyone knows who it is. You got CNBC and moving tickers, mm -hmm. but it's still just one out of 10. So really, I'm asking about how, from your perspective, how far down the list, or is it just at the top of the list and it dominates everything? Yeah, no, it's a good question because, you know, getting back to coaching, you know, the, the key question is, what do you want? And, and coaching is helping flesh that out, of course, but your, your example is Noel comes in and says, you know, it's time I am, you know, I am done being an attorney, you know, I, I want to do something else that's meaningful to me that's going to give me purpose, mm. making sure that Noel is on that strong financial footing is the most important thing, meaning that how much money do you have? And let's do a projection. Now I am, I am, 
I think we can start with a Monte Carlo. And again, not loving that language that we've applied in the industry for that that kind of, you know, probability. And I know you're a probability guy, but that probability based, you know, forward look into the future, you know, what are the odds with, you know, my asset, you know, investment level with the income that I may or may not have? Because again, let's say you're like me, you're making this this transition pivot before 65, the classic kind of, I'm 56, uh, almost 57, uh, hence the Noel. I'm a, a holiday, holiday child. Um, but the point is, you know, running those numbers so that I, you know, Noel can see, you know, you have X amount of money, which depending on when you want to draw it, which you might now, you might want to draw an income from your, your investments. You might want to take the principal, or excuse me, maybe not principal, but you know, right. want to take the interest, the dividends, you know, systematic withdrawal, whatever. But, you know, how much money do you have? And what's your lifestyle need? And what, you know, because if, if that shift that, that women are looking to make has income potential, you know, what, what will that income look like so that you actually are able to sustain your lifestyle? So the fur, I guess the bottom line I always say is we need to know all the numbers, right? How much money do you have? How much do you think you could make in this transition? It could be that you've accumulated enough wealth that you could just be a volunteer, you know, you could do anything, right? Nice. But I don't know, <laughs> right. the, yeah, yeah, nice, right? The average American isn't in that position, right? Sure. So I think it's, no, a, right. you know what, Jay, it's a reality check conversation, right? Because again, there's a lot of wishing that happens in, in life and certainly money. But I think the role of a good financial professional is, you know, being that truth teller and having the reality check. And now we are here today, we fast, not fast forward, this has always been the case, but the numbers are now enormous, right? 15%, something like that, just as a general healthcare, go to healthcare costs out of your mm -hmm. 100, right? Mm -hmm. in, in national GDP. So I ask guests very frequently, you know, underrated, overrated, properly rated, as far as people's knowledge an awareness of how big that number is and how much it affects their financial plan amongst this list of 10. Yeah. So in your your opinion is the is the information that we have delivered to people good, bad or terrible? I mean is really, you know, <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm going to say bad. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I feel bad to say, I, I would hate to say terrible, but you know, it's, it's between the two only because back to awareness, right? Because the modern financial advisory industry, right? That's grown, you know, considerably, obviously since ERISA, you know, and having much more participation in, right. in investment sure. markets. But the point is that healthcare was always sort of a purview of someone else, right? It wasn't necessarily something that a financial advisor, you know, that's the stocks and bonds person, right? So the awareness I think is, is dismal. And I don't, I think the industry is doing a much better job. The challenge is that as you just made a comment with percentages, and I always like to bring it to dollars, right? Because dollars really sure, tell the story. Um, and you'll know the number far better than I will, as far as what that, that, healthcare spending looks like as far as our GDP, but I will I'll bring it down to a number that we used in our paper um, on that expensive sandwich, which was that a 45-year-old woman retiring at 65 could expect to spend out of pocket on average $265,000. And so I let that sit with people sometimes. It's, it's daunting, 
right? Because it 200 is. out of pocket, wait, I have Medicare, you know, I, I, you know, I bought Medicap, I, I, you know, I have Medicare Advantage, you know, whatever plan you opt for. Getting old can be expensive. And for women in particular, and I should say that that number obviously is an estimate, right? It's you sure. know, averages, of average, but, yeah. but, but I will note that because we live longer, and we do right. tend to have more complicated systems with, you know, reproductive, you know, issues, whatnot. Um, it can be more expensive for us than men um, to age. Do you think that we are doing a good job? And and I put me, so I'm throwing a rock at myself, you know, or a mud ball at myself, are doing a good job of helping people understand this earlier. Because by the time that they've gotten to, you know, Noel's age, Right, it, a fair amount of information has been ingrained. They've been educated, or you know, not educated, whichever it might be, put off. Perhaps is it too late at that point in time, or you know, how early? How I guess my real question is: is how do we jumpstart Noel's knowledge base? You know, yeah. the, this well, first conversation will do it, or are there other steps? Well, it's interesting tying together something we talked about a little bit ago, and that is that lived experience of being in the sandwich generation. So in the case of Noah, which, by the way, I should confess, one of my best friends is named Noah. Okay. So if she's listening to this, no, she's no, going to no, think no. I'm talking about her, which I actually sort of am right now. <laughs> okay. Uh -oh. Because most women, and again, men, some men, um, but because they are caring for their parents, Right. And elder relatives, you know, whomever, you know, I have a friend who volunteers and just does a million things for just neighbors. Um, but the point is helping them navigate when they get to 65. So if I'm in my 40s, you know, or even 50s and helping sure, sure. You know, my parents navigate, there is a little bit learning that's happening there. It's not really real time in the sense of you're not getting a scope of the total spend. But as far as, you know, where you have expertise, and that is, you know, navigating, how do I enroll in Medicare? I learned something great from you the other day, which is, you know, you better start scoping this out like at 63 or a little bit earlier. But I do believe that there, there's some awareness, uh, maybe a lot, that women are getting from helping their, their parents um, navigate Medicare. I've seen these, these articles, and we kind of know this anecdotally. So back to kind of what we were saying, well... Now, Noel's got 10 plates to spin, a long list. How much of the time, or are there different roles, different thoughts, different process? A person has to stop working because family, you know, women particularly, right? Taking care of senior parent, parents-in-law, whatever it would be, extended family member, they don't, they have to stop working. Yep, and now you, and then they, they have the question: Okay, am I going to go back to work? Am I mm -hmm. going to have to stay here, not not working, or how am I going to balance? How's this stuff going to work? Yeah. Is this also well flushed out? Um, or why don't you give your perspective on what a, a woman and extended family can do? Because everyone's getting older, ourselves included. Hold on, Suzanne. Hold on. Something happened with the sound? Can you hear me okay? Okay. It's... Let's just see. I don't know what happened. 
it can be that, uh, and I'm not sure what the source is here. It can be internet related. Let's just shut some stuff down, see what happens. So I think we were, so we were just talking about um, self-care is not yep, selfish. Exactly. Yep. Right. And one of the things that, that we stressed in the paper that we wrote was recognizing that, you know, there are boundaries. There, there is the ability to delegate. And we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, maybe you have a program that you're not aware of through your um, through your company. Um, maybe you have a sibling. <laughs> I think right. one of the things that I've I've learned from my friends um, for I'm very fortunate. My parents are um, 83 and 80. They I often say look probably 10 years younger, maybe 15. They act like they're 18. I'm very lucky, <laughs> but I've learned vicariously through my friends and how they right. manage that. You know, sure. one of the tips that that um, I've, I've seen work quite well is let's say you do have other siblings. Now, the geography, obviously, default is closest female is always going to be the caregiver. Right. But recognizing that, you know, you can have a schedule. You know, one of my friends will fly up from um, New York to or excuse me, Virginia, to see her mother to help her sister out because her sister is in the neighborhood. But having that ability to really ask for what you need. And recognize that that mm. this care that you're giving, and that's true for an elderly spouse as well. I mean, it takes a toll physically, sure. right? Oh yeah, you know, oh, beyond absolutely. the mental and and the financial, right? Um, so I guess it's it's being aware of boundaries, knowing that you can ask for help, and that you don't have to do it all. And sometimes that I I know is easier said than done, but but recognizing sure. that there are people out there that want to help. Um, when. When a person takes time off, let's just say, for example, Noel has, you know, we've got a family situation, responsible female gets, look, we need to take some time off from work to attend to it. From your experience, and I'm sure this is part of you know, the salary gap, one of these things that we're not going to you know, resolve here on the call, but talk about, you know, the decision making of returning to work or not, and uncertainty about how their handle of finances can affect that decision-making. Mm -hmm. Well, if, if it's, I guess I'm hearing that it, there's a, there's a binary nature to it, meaning that the mm. care, it, maybe that's a question to clarify the care mm. that's required is requiring a hundred percent of, of Noel's time, or is this a Noel's just going to be the classic doer female and say, I'm going to work full time. I'm going to take care of my kids and I'm going to drive, you know, my friend Noel's example, you know, an hour and a half each way to go visit my mother and her care facility. You know, it's a, it's an interesting <laughs> point. It, it just points out my own bias, right? Because I, you're absolutely right. I framed the question as it's <laughs> just like zero or a hundred. Right. I didn't really consider, you know, some different levels or different balances. Is it your thought that that's even possible to, mm -hmm. to be like, 75 25 where in your experience look at it's gen people just decide okay i can't work at all because i need 100 percent and then 10 percent rest or do it self-care etc right. right. um how is that yeah i um i i think in in what i've observed that most women try to just put it into their normal day um oh. i know of one friend that decided she had a very, um, you know, important, um, you know, stressful um, 
executive role in a big company. Mm. Her parents were getting sick and she decided to step away and said, I, that's my job. I am going, I'm not married. She was older, not married, uh, no kids and said, that's what I'm going to do now. Jay, forgive me one sec. Can you pause the recording? Oh, no problem. Thank you. I have somebody who wants to join the conversation. <laughs> I'm going to try and... And, and and actually, they're welcome to the conversation. Yeah. Okay. So she had decided that that was, you know, it was in getting back to coaching and, and values, right? So her yeah. value system said, this is, this is my role. I can do this. Now, her story is interesting because she stepped away from this executive role, moved, you know, probably about an hour away from, from Boston and took care of her parents. And because she was very valued in her company, they said, we want you back. And so she actually, this is adding, you know, back to the story of, okay, I'll do both. You know, I will commute an hour each way to work. I will take care of my, (laughs) my aging ailing parents. Um, but it's something that she wanted to do and she, she could do. Um, I, I see some work in the coaching mode of saying, okay, what's important to you. And if that's one of your values is giving back and being a caring, a caregiver for ailing parents, you know, what else interests you out there? You know, because could you, could you take a part-time job? I mean, if that becomes your full-time job, but you still want to be engaged and earn some income, which I would say in some, you know, family situations, if the parents have, you know, accumulated a significant amount of wealth, you, you can be paid (laughs) for care. I have another friend whose, whose sister did that, um, where the trust would pay her. Um, but anyway, but getting back to this, this binary nature, I, I don't see it as often when someone is the primary caregiver. So if you're fortunate enough to be married and the spouse is earning a strong income, I think that's, that's maybe a scenario that I see also where, um, the wife, um, can step away. Um, and, uh, but it really comes down to being, I think back to coaching very clear on what's important to you. Because if this is, oh, I have to do this. I don't want to do this. It's it's gonna be. It's gonna take a toll, um, not only mentally but financially. And that's what kind of why I was asked that question in that way. Is that part of that can be uncertain financial uncertainty, then kind of driving then a decision that may not have been what in line necessarily with their values or whatever they think that they should do or want to do if you will Mm -hmm. and then shifting you know their decision you know and back back to your taking you know honest stock of where you stand where is the money where is it going how is it how's it actually work do we have a plan going forward so that they can know what decision that they're taking I mean, your your friend is an exception, right? I mean, high high powered, highly accomplished, mm-hmm. and highly, um, you know, achievement, mm-hmm. and obviously high valued employee. So as a result, you know, they want. So we'll figure out the middle ground. <laughs> exactly. That, we'll that, 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 we'll, that's not that's we'll not most employee. I mean, most yeah. everyday persons, you know, don't have that luxury. You know, unfortunately, or and while there can be you know, changes and evolutions to the employment you know, situation, mm-hmm. do you think that, or what advice would you give? What guidance would mm-hmm. you have? And and you probably already touched on it, but is there something special extra 
that you think that people could use as far as information as they decide on, you know, their proper balance. Yeah. You just, you, you brought a couple thoughts together from what we just talked about before, which is, I think that can be an incredibly powerful, important role of a financial advisor. Mm. And that is someone who is committed and trained to help a client, Noelle in this case, have early conversations with yeah. her parent or parents because one of the things I, another, I mean, the conversations happen all day, every day. And maybe it's just, again, my age, but everyone's dealing with this. It seems like with parents, yeah, for sure. But I talked to someone the other day who was struggling. Um, fortunately, there there's um, a, a fair amount of money in the family. So it's not necessarily a cost situation, but it's the emotions because yeah. her father is divorced, um, is um, ailing. And does not want to move closer to where she is, where she could give him oversight and care, again, in a lovely facility. But the point is that the conversation didn't happen, it sounds like, you know, maybe when they were younger and there was more clarity. Because some of these decisions that are being, you know, that you're navigating with a parent and and one of um, my uh, consultant colleagues, um, Chris Hay, um, says, you know, the, the, I guess Harvard has calculated that our, our mental competency kind of peaks at 56, <laughs> which, <that> right? you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of a scary number, um, <laughs> you know, by the way, yes, my, my age. Um, but the point I guess I'm making is that I think that's an important, that's a really interesting role that a financial advisor could step into knowing the financial consequences, especially with women. If you can guide someone, you know, Noel, to have a conversation early to get some kind of planning happening with the parents, sort of like, you know, what's my role going to be? What are my siblings' roles going to be? Where do you want to live? Because if the parents aren't having those conversations with anyone, arming, I think, you know, someone, a uh, woman, especially in her, you know, 50s, that could be very powerful as, as, a, as a role um, with a financial advisor. And, you know, being curious independently right you know like how do i how do i help my parents help themselves <laughs> and then for themselves later as well i mean they mm -hmm. they especially in the sandwich generation they've they know it can happen or the, sometimes that's the catalyst oh take care of my senior parent is going to cost x i had no mm -hmm. idea what x yeah. even was no idea yeah. and you know, if they don't have a support system, how are they going to think through it? And do they have any contingency backup plan in terms of if I can't take care of myself now, they've got it. There's another issue that they've got to consider, which they didn't necessarily know even existed as an issue. So mm -hmm. I always call the long-term care planning conversation as the elephant in the room because it's the conversation nobody wants to have. Mm -hmm. I mean, because... You don't want to face your own mortality, much mm -hmm. less that your parents would possibly not be there any longer, just not in the state. And then how do you talk to your people around you? Okay, what are we going to actually do? Because it's nice to say, well, my family, we're all going to pitch in mm -hmm. or, you know, we're all going to make it work and things yeah. like that. But then you ask, I've had this conversation. Okay, well, that's great. Now tell me, how's that going to work? Yeah. And then, and then always... <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's write a business plan. Right. I mean, cause that's it again, it's up here. And unless it's written down, 
whether it's through a formal financial plan or like you're saying, you know, just, just having those conversations and saying, okay, you know, this is, we're documenting this, this is, this is the plan, but you just flag something, Jay, which I, I'm assuming whoever is listening knows this, but just again, Medicare doesn't cover long-term care, no, <laughs> especially no for women who tend to claim more. It's in our, you know, we wrote this in our paper as well, but you know, women, you know, have longer stays. There are more claims. We live longer, you know, um, and not having that conversation about where you want to live, because again, you know, this, most people say, I want to live in my house. Right. And What's that look like if you're living 500 miles away, a thousand miles away from someone sure. who has some oversight? Yeah. It is. And even personally with our background, right, you would think, okay, well, the conversation is easier for me to have because I have this background and I have all this different experience, et cetera, et cetera, and know what their cost ramifications. That doesn't make it any more pleasant mm-hmm. or, a, or a conversation. So yeah. it's so interesting that someone... And without putting myself in your shoes, I mean, you know this based on your professional work, your the mm-hmm. research you've done, the papers you've mm-hmm. written. I'm sure it's just not that easy for you, for any person. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless the you're, emotions, right? Course, I mean, because right. it's all you know, kind of left hemisphere. You know, I can be clinical. We can have the conversation. We can write it down. But you know, I mean, the the worst or most extreme example in this is. Someone was talking about this just the other day of, you know, having that healthcare proxy, you know, and, and we were, I was curious because the person that had been picked was a friend because Mm. the person who is ailing knew that the husband wouldn't be able to pull the plug. Right. You know, so, so these are, you know, I guess I'm, you know, using an extreme example here, but it just sure, gets no, no, I do it all the time. around mortality and people, yeah, people are not comfortable with this, even, you know, though, I think our awareness has been raised a lot through the pandemic. Suzanne, how do people get a hold of you today? You know, we could go on for hours, literally, sure. because if we turn, there's so many stones on this beat, rocky beach and underneath each stone is an hour conversation. I mean, literally, but how do people get started with you? Why don't you tell us you know, how people can get in contact with you? Thanks, Jay. Yeah, SuzanneNorman.com, um, okay. which I think we'll have in, in the in the crawl. Um, and uh, my calendar is in there. Resources are in there. And um, talking to me for a consult is free. So anything that's on your mind, please, you know, please feel free to reach out. And I'm happy to help. You know, and I wanted to have you here because... You know, I can always say, well, Jay's a financial planner. I can do everything and this and that. But different people have different comfort levels with other mm-hmm. persons. That's a personal conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think that, Suzanne, you represent you know, both the technically, specifically in financial markets, in financial advisory, in finance. You know, you understand at least the topics of issues. And then plus the fact that you've got your own personal experience Mm-hmm. And add that that's a pretty powerful convert, you know, combination of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, you know, technical term, you know, mm-hmm. for a technician stuff, <laughs> <laughs> right? Common but, language, common language. <laughs> right. That, that's why I think, you know, our conversation here is so important, so welcoming, and especially, you know, to reach out to her if that is the type of situation you face. And a lot of the topics are not gender specific, right? We mm-hmm. happen to focus on mm-hmm. women today, but taking proper stock, well, whether or not that's happening, I, I don't think that it discriminates. We don't, we're not necessarily fully educated 
irrespective of you know gender sex so well and and jay you made me think one one thing that i failed to mention but um you know it, it's a perfect segue with our last comments around you know having this competency and the numbers and, and the mm. logic but then getting into the messiness of the emotions I am actually starting a new program in January um, to help women around their emotions with money and mm. getting mental fitness around that. Mm. Um, because again, I'm not an advisor. That that's not the role that I I choose to play in the in the um, in, in the this. world. Um, but that's that's important work I think for a lot of people is is getting strong. S- super important because I think we were talking earlier, and I you know we'll end here, which is that we are given information within a silo. Right, you know, invest for the long term, life insurance for security, annuities for you know to, for lifetime income, but the interactions, and then there's you overlaying how you can manage what is important to you in order so that you can set a priority list for these different topics, people being hit from every direction. But uh your point about the emotions so important, and we'll look forward to that. And yes. Any place that, you know, our conversation is going to be shared, we'll be sharing your links, you know, as widespread as we possibly can. So thanks, Jay. All right, Suzanne, thank you very much.